boy. The funeral is about to begin. I want to hear you scream. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Whatever you do. everyone this is podcast of the dead the podcast about all things horror related i am zach palmer sitting next to me is isaac wright my entire being right now is like a patchwork of french fries saltines and beer there's nothing new there like the molecular composition of my body yeah that, no that's that's all correct <laughs> yes that's all normal and correct yeah and uh, <laughs> and of course uh, joining us from the void is chrissy beetle i'm sick and i want to play the funky fetus game Okay. <laughs> Where was that? Is that an actual beverage you're chugging? Because it looks suspiciously like, like Nyquil. That's what <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> no, it's it's Arizona iced tea because uh, oh, okay. Tracer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's... what's the, what's the UK alternative to Arizona iced tea? Lipton iced tea, which is actually actually kind of nice here. But I was about to say that's Nestle or something, right? That's that's not British. So yeah, Arizona's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Don't feel bad. Uh, well, anyway, it's fucking cold here in Texas. Uh, I mean, for Texas, whether it's cold, it's getting, it's going to be in the teens Fahrenheit for us. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure that's is, still like pretty warm for us. Yeah, we Probably, know. Yeah, we're not equipped for that sort of thing. I don't know if you know that. Your wusses. Yeah, well, you, yeah, come come here when it's 100 degrees Fahrenheit, okay, and, and shut the fuck up. I did, remember? <laughs> yeah, you did, and you were whining the whole time. <laughs> whining the whole time. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about some horror news! Shit, we haven't done that in a while. Yeah. We haven't, yeah, because awesome. it's been real big episodes recently, yeah. and this is a less big episode. True. Uh, but still a good one. As yeah. they all hopefully are. <laughs> so you mentioned this, Chrissy. You said that they're remaking Scream. Yeah. For God's sakes, why? Because, <laughs> okay, like the thing, what pisses me off, I don't know anything about it. I'm going to rely on you about information after I have my little say. Um, why would you remake a movie that's already a parody of a genre of movies that was already fine? And if you remake it, I mean, they did it with the series. And that was valid, but also less, it was definitely not as good as the movies. Why are they remaking the movie? Like, have they said? Um. Because fuck you. It's also. <laughs> they're also. It, it's unclear on if it's like going to be a sequel or a remake or canonized in the universe. And they're also re, re, remaking Hellraiser, which they oh already God. did like two years ago. Jeez. Well, I mean, at least they made another Hellraiser sequel, but they're going to remake it. I fucking love it. Hellraiser has a lot more room to be remade, though, because there's a lot of different ways you could go with that lore, and it's a lot more... I don't know. I feel like the, the, the fan base for Hellraiser is more has more appetite for a remake and a re-envisioning than the fan base for Scream does, because the fan base for Scream just likes it because it kind of shits all over itself and um, the genre as a whole. Why would you remake that and possibly lose what makes it special? No one wants a Hellraiser remake unless it's done by Barker, and nobody True. wants a fucking Scream remake. 
Without Wes Craven, for one. I just don't even want a Scream remake. Yeah. Because it's good. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like I said, the series is fine, but the first two se- se- uh, seasons of the series is dog crap compared to three. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you can only do so much to re-envision that storyline and character. And especially if you make a full theatrical movie without Campbell, without Cox, without uh, Arquette without, you know, any of those big characters, it loses so much of what it's supposed to be. And that's what you saw with the series, is it lost a lot of... But it'll be a 90s nostalgia. <laughs> but they didn't do that. that. <laughs> they, they didn't do that with the series, though. They made it not super really, 2000s. No. They made yeah. it super, like, current. Yeah, yeah, but they'll do that with a remake, because you know they will. Yeah, the first two seasons of the Scream for, uh, series kind of felt like Riverdale. Yeah. <laughs> a little oh, bit, God. So. So I don't know. So, okay, we'll see how it is. But I, I personally don't like it. I think yeah. that losing sight of what makes Scream good. I, I really don't think there's enough information to go on yet to really have an opinion about it personally. Okay. Uh, I don't know enough. Like, no, there's no, there's not enough information there to really, okay. like, say anything. Let's, well, there's enough let's information say. for me to shuttle over it, so that's all I need. <laughs> yeah, you're also the biggest fan out of the three of us. True. So, I, I mean, that's yeah. understandable. It's, you know, understandable. They, have a great day. Yeah. <laughs> they said, yeah, we're going to scrap the monster verse entirely and completely redo Godzilla. I would be kind of pissed off, too. Like, I would be, like, it'd be kind of a similar, like, equivalent. It's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to completely just reboot the whole thing and whatever. But I don't know. That, that's different, though. Godzilla's been around for so long. They could never do that without. A re- like they've they, done that. Well, they they've have done like, that yeah. twice now. They have like American and, and Toho version, but the Toho version never like throws everything that it has out the window. Oh it? yeah, it does. Oh, does it? Yeah, no. they okay. totally have done that. All right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know enough about Godzilla to say anything. <laughs> I know. Stop impeding on my territory. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Doctor Sleep came out recently, and Doctor Sleep apparently is not doing well at the box office, which is a little disappointing, but. To me, not that surprising. Only because there wasn't a whole lot of great advertisement about it, I guess. It wasn't really, like like you say, Chrissy, it wasn't really hyped. Uh, yeah, so I've seen loads of stuff for it here. But from what I was hearing and from what I was seeing from people like Dead Meat, it wasn't really being hyped in the States. Not much, Unless no. it was to, like, horror influencers. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Because the only time I saw anything about it was definitely. I think we saw it when we saw Midsummer. We saw an advertisement for that when we saw it's so another horror movie. We saw an advertisement for a horror movie, right? But I guess anything else you didn't really see. I saw it for. when we saw Midsummer. I saw it. Uh, Fangoria had done something about it, um, and then uh, last podcast on the left did an episode, yeah. like a special episode about it. And but yeah, I just thought it was interesting. They said it's on track to lose like twenty million, and so it's it's kind of and Warner Brothers is normally pretty on on point with their horror stuff, and so everyone thought that was kind of surprising. Oh. Yeah, it's just a weird time for for movies. Horror movies. Well, yeah, it's a weird time for movies. It's a weird time for a movie like that specifically. But that normally, even Stephen King stuff goes goes it really. It should weird. have come out. I know it came out in the states on Halloween, but it uh-huh. should have come out mid mid October. Yeah, that's that. I'll, I'll take that because it wasn't. It doesn't have a Halloweeny vibe. Not even The Shining has a Halloweeny vibe. That's more of like a, a winter movie. <laughs> but snowy because winter it's movie. a horror movie, all of that sort of hype. It's why so many horror movies come out at that time. Yeah, 
This is True. my film yeah. studies 101 remembering. <laughs> Horror movies of... that come out after, like, around September, October do the best. But anything mm-hmm. that comes out afterwards... Because everyone's going to be wanting to see, like, shitty rom-coms and Christmas movies now. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and it's like the... I'm going to say... I'm going to use normies. Uh, normies, don't, like, they get, like, horror movie hangover after yeah. Halloween season, and they kind of don't want to see that sort of thing. And yes, it is a Stephen King, like, adaption, but it's not... Not many people knew it existed. One. Not a lot of people know yeah, Dr. Sleep. It's you know not what one I mean? of his big books. It's not it. It's like you know? dream, it's yeah. like Dreamcatcher. Yeah, no one wanted to see about right. the poop goblins, right. <laughs> the, the shit weasels, the, the shit weasels yeah. in the library. That's what that or, movie should have like been called. Or like if they made a movie about insomnia or something like that. It's not one of his larger. They movies. did make an insomnia, right? I think they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I'm saying like, I got you. Yeah, now. no, like now. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. got you. Yeah, and that and, and speaking of which, I don't think insomnia did that well either. No, yeah, <laughs> when it came out. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's, that's it's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah, it's not one of his more popular books. Everyone sort of that doesn't know about it will remember The Shining, and even though it's based on Stephen King's Talks to Sleep and all the advertisements, people are going to be like, oh, it's just a sequel they pulled out their ass kind of thing. Yeah. Which is a, it's a valid concern, because you've had movies like that, like The Lost World and like uh, Hannibal. Yeah. Uh, the, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, it wasn't even a book first. He wrote it to be a movie. So right. like, there's definitely reasons why you would be suspicious of someone taking a classic book slash film and making a sequel to it. But that's what I thought about Blade Runner 20... Uh, Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner 2049, and that turned out to be fucking awesome. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah Blade Runner was an adapt- it wasn't an adaption. It was just Yeah, but I, I was shit all over it because I was like, they can't make a movie sequel to a book. There wasn't a book to make you know, a movie. That's what I said yeah. before also, it came out, and then I watched just, it, and I was like, oh, fuck. People are just dumb. <laughs> I mean, it was loosely based on a book, but... True, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a Philip K. Dick mm. adaption, more or less, but it's, I mean, it's still like... Blade Runner 2049, yeah, I'm almost saying it, too, <laughs> is, like, way, way better than it deserved to be. Yeah, and true. Fuck, it's so, it's so good. Oh, uh, plus it's anyway, coming up to Oscar season. Think about that. That's People true. People are only going to yeah. want to see films that they think will be Oscar nominations. Oh, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't I'm know not if that's moaning true at, at you yeah. and that. That's I'm moaning at that sentiment because I know that's not how I see movies. I can see why there are people out there that do, and I just it's taking stuff. Yeah, the, that's taking stuff the wrong way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really put any. So I mean, yes, I'm kind of a weird f- film. Buff, yeah, we're I all guess. weird. Like we wouldn't have I mean, any interest in the Oscars. I don't give a shit. Just like I don't listen to. Albums that are nominated for Grammys or stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you don't watch yeah. like award shows. I right. mean, I hate award yeah. shows. They're they're yeah. garbage. Like, I don't care. Yeah, because I mean, it's them. yeah for whatever reason. That's that's true. I don't know. I've never understood that. That could be a whole. That should be an episode. We should talk about horror movies that have ever actually made it into any kind of awards. <laughs> like Not, process, there were like really, there's like three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would like to really. examine those. And I mean, why we already talked about are. one of them. Yeah, Get Out. Yeah. So get out yeah. get out was definitely one of them. American huh. Werewolf that's... was one as well. That. Yeah. Wow. Okay. See, yeah. that'd be an interesting topic cuz I hate award shows and award shows hate horror sh- movies, so I don't know. It'd be an interesting topic, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I can Yeah, so Chrissy. I can tell you, you where you I learned about American Werewolf facts. <laughs> where? Yes. I learned it in um the internet has been hyping up this 
In Search of Darkness, the definitive 80s horror movie documentary for ages. It's a four and a half hour documentary. I'm still actually not finished it. (laughs) Me and Stephen (laughs) haven't finished it yet. We are two VHS tapes long. (laughs) It came out only on VHS, right? (laughs) It's a laser disc. (laughs) (laughs) that's nine sides yeah it is like nine sides of a fucking laser disc yeah it's it's long as shit but it's genuinely really worth it it's you can see the love that's been poured into it it's so detailed going through everything they've got John Carpenter they've got Larry Cohen before he died yeah they've got you know everyone and anyone almost they've got Hodder, Savini, you know, all that, all that good shit. But <laughs> there's been one very poignant moment in it, and shout out to Caroline Williams for being a fucking MVP and absolutely making me burst into tears and having to like pause everything and just literally just sob for a good five to twenty minutes. They were talking about the future, you know, and Caroline Williams playing Stretch in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. They were talking about how killer, like, kick-ass screen queens were, and, you know, how you had badasses like Stretch, like Nancy. And she and Sarah from Day of the Dead were saying about how they want to see not just more women in horror, you know, having those kick-ass roles now, as we have regressed back into the screaming... You know, like, dead damsel in distress kind of shit. But also having more queer people, you know, trans, gender fluid, people in horror, kicking ass, making kick-ass horror, all that kind of shit. And yeah, it broke me. And then I tweeted at her about her lovely words, and she retweeted me, tweeted a a fucking gay-ass gif at me, and then also... (laughs) Tweeted the these beautiful words. Much richness awaits you. When I said basically just said thank you for saying nice things about us. You know that's, that's awesome. all you could fucking ask for from someone like that. Mm-hmm. You know from oh yeah. It was some validation I didn't know I needed. Oh, and also <laughs> the. Documentary retweeted my 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 words, so I'm oh I'm that's well awesome. Happy. <laughs> How do people find this documentary? Uh, I, what did it come out on? I it'll be I don't know if it's gonna be too hard to find because I got it on a free like a I got the download code from a friend who pre-ordered it, and you could mostly only pre-order it up until Halloween. So I don't exactly know how people are going to find it, but if you can find it and you can, like, buy it, please do. So just keep an eye out, is what you're saying. Keep an eye out, because I'm sure (laughs) the creators will put it up somewhere for, like, to buy it post it coming out. I know the physicals are being released, like, being sent out now, because my mate got the shipping email that his are being shipped the same day as the download code. Which, shout out to Jonathan, who was the guy who uh, told us to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He yeah, is the one that, yeah. he is the one that gifted, not just me, he gifted us the download code. <laughs> and I will find a way to give it to you two so that you guys can watch it. Okay. Hell yeah. That's awesome. 
And what's the name of it again? In Search of just Darkness, so, a, a definitive darkness. 80s horror yeah. documentary. Cool. That sounds like something I'm very incredibly interested in. I assume it'll be on Shudder, you know, the, the sponsor we don't have, I, I that hope, we have not actually so. purchased, that we constantly plug. I hope, I hope yeah. they put it on Shudder. Like, I hope Shudder picks it up. Yeah. That'd be cool. I mean, like, Joe Bob Briggs is in it, and he's well in with the Shudder guy, so I hope they pick it up. Mm-hmm. I hope It sounds. I hope someone yeah. just picks it up, basically. Yeah. Because they spent a lot of money making it, and it's a real labor of love. Hell yeah. Cool. I've only watched two things that were four hours long in my life. One was Lawrence of Arabia, which is almost four hours long, and I love that movie. <laughs> the other one was a documentary about the Eagles. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. That was a week long, like, you just bitching at why the hell did I watch that? We had to listen to you talk. Why did I watch this four hour documentary on the Eagles? You know the highest selling rock band of all time? Do you know any of this? Like, what the fuck? And we just had to sit here and be like, Zach, why did you sit through it then if all you wanted to do is complain after the fact? Like I hate through. myself! That sounds like me sitting through Rose Red. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. yeah same. Oh, yeah, well, was Rose Red four hours long? No, but it's like nearly three hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, it's, yeah. It's one of I was, I was like, well, I've seen that too, and I, I hated that too. Yeah, but no, it was literally like the phrase that I permeated my being for a few months there was, yeah, I only know that because I watched a four-hour <laughs> no. documentary on the Eagles. I remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that sounds yeah, so bad. I fucking, I fucking hate the Eagles. Um, anyway, I'm not I'm not unique in that, and I sound like the dude from uh, Big Lebowski saying that, no, but it's... the Eagles are I figured shit. the dude would... I figured the dude would love the Eagles. Does he not? Is that canon or something? That's literally a thing that he says in oh, the movie. I, I haven't he watched says, that. I, so... f- I fucking hate the Eagles. He seems like a guy that would love the Eagles, though. That's what throws me off. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He seems like the demographic for mm-hmm. the Eagles. Yeah. But he's uh, okay, can we stop talking about the Eagles now? <laughs> yeah, <please>. No. <laughs> the Eagles is the true horror of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh. let's uh, talk about uh, that thing. With the sphere. <laughs> that thing that inspired Captain Phasma in J.J. Abrams' Star Wars. Very true. Yeah. Podcast of the Dead. So, back in 1979, Don Coscarelli is in... You, you, y'all have seen Baba Hotep, right? Indeed. Yes. Yeah, the guy who made yeah. that. He created a little indie horror movie, and it was literally just him he like he wrote he directed he edited it he photographed it like all himself what a fucking lad i can't even like go to the toilet some days <laughs> and this, this man is fucking making a movie by himself um it's called phantasm the movie was decently liked enough to where it had sequels and there's where our story begins with the silver spheres and the man who shouts Boy. It's more like, boy! Yeah, Yeah. I'm sick, I can't do that right now. (laughs) I'm your your boy surrogate. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a whole thing. Yeah. It can mean a lot of things. So, we, we should probably start with the plot, right lads? Yeah. So the plot goes like this. You got three teens, Mike, Jody, and Reggie. Although they're not teens, I, no, mean, no, I mean, it's Mike... really fucking obvious that they ain't teens. But they're <laughs> yeah. supposed to be. 
<laughs> yeah, Mike's the only teen, kind of. Yeah, like, like <laughs> Reggie and, like, Jody are, like, meant to be, like, late teens, early 20s. But Reggie's fucking hair loss. <laughs> Well, you can't have hair loss, like, in your early 20s, but yeah, I know. he's clearly not there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they're living in their small town doing, like, I'm gonna say teen shit. You, you know, like, fucking in graveyards, all that. All that shit. <laughs> Reggie's a fucking ice cream man. Mike and Jody. I mean, nobody knows what Mike's really... I mean, Mike's a kid, but nobody really knows what Jody does. But, you know, they're dealing with the loss of their parents and Mike notices something weird at the cemetery that's kind of how this is all starts because he sees the mortician and funeral director like mortician slash funeral director stealing bodies like a normal man and so along the way you know they find out what is he doing to the bodies and who is he who is the tall man and, you know, reality warps and dreams and shit. <laughs> so, so I let y'all go, go on and do that. That's a pretty accurate description of the plot of this. It is very disjointed and very strange. <laughs> yeah. 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 And there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that, which we'll get into. But, yeah, the, the plot... The Jawas. <laughs> yes, there are Jawas. There are basically Jawas. Um... I just want to. I just want to start up top. Let y'all know that I, uh, if y'all hear me say this, it's because I've been doing this all week. I constantly will refer to this movie as the Tempest for reasons I'm not sure why. <laughs> I at first thought it, and told Zach that it's because it's an anagram. Uh, five seconds before we started recording, I tried to write both of them down to see if I could prove myself right. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> <laughs> There's no. We're getting a fucking horror tempest. There is no right? A in either the or tempest, and I was really pissed off because I was like, all the other letters are there. I'm a genius. So, <laughs> Turns out, no. Yeah. Like we're getting a horror tempest, guys, but that's not True. Yeah. this video. Video fucking episode. Yeah. But wow. anyway, brain work. But anyway, this uh I don't know. The, the plot of this movie is very strange and dreamlike and goes all kinds of different directions and I don't understand it. So. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of reasons why the plot is all over the place. The largest reason why is because the script never kind of really existed in any full form. Uh, a lot a lot of it no. was that the the script was written kind of as the movie went and then it was also it, like like we said it was also edited by Don uh Coscarelli? Coscarelli. MS Doscarelli. MS. gonna fucking fit that joke in somewhere. Yeah, yeah. MS Doscarelli. Um, so he did all the editing, and, you know, it's kind of obvious in the sense that he wasn't really horribly experienced in um, editing because there is sort of like some weird, like, like the story is kind of jumbled together in certain ways, but. It kind of works, and we'll talk about that later. It. Why it's it's very it has a very dreamlike feel to it. Its and original title was The Never Dead. The Never Dead. I can see why yeah. they changed yeah. it. I guess yeah. uh, it doesn't have as much of a ring. I love it. I actually really like that. I like like um, the Neverhood was an old PC game that I played a lot of. I love that <laughs> title when they put like two things together that don't really work in a normal sphere. So I like the Never Dead. But at the same time, I don't think it would have gotten the acclaim that it did or the interest that it did Later. had it been I mean, named that. Later. 
Not initially. Sure. <laughs> I mean, could you could you could you see a? I mean, they didn't really give any of the other title, any of the other movies in the series, really catchy titles. But I know the last one was called Ravager. Could you see it? Right. The Never Dead Ravager. <laughs> I could totally that just see that. Sounds that sounds like a necrophiliac movie. Well, <laughs> I mean, that sounds awesome, though. Four, I mean, four was called Oblivion. Yeah, four was Oblivion. Yeah, five is Ravager. I don't think two and three had subtitles. I think three maybe did. I don't remember. I don't remember three. <laughs> I like that. I like that there was nowhere that you were going to go after that. No, no, I don't no, remember no. three. <laughs> no, I have somewhere I'm going with it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we know I, why. <laughs> Because you've told us this story multiple Fa- times, by the way. Phantasm <laughs> Drinkathon. Don't remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wasn't you were drinking out of a keg, right? Yeah, we had a yeah. keg. Yeah. That's a that's a classic yeah. podcast of the dead story, by the way. That's a golden, <laughs> that's a golden oldie at this point. It's uh, a good one. I want to do it again, but yeah. actually watch Ravager this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing about the series, by the way, is that... Uh, the sequels are kind of few and far between as far as like how far apart they are. The only ones that are two that are close together are two and three, really. Yeah. Um, the rest of them are kind of several years apart from each other. Even the the first sequel too, I think, is like nine years later or something like that. Yeah, it's like eight it's or nine years later. Phantasm was seventy nine, obviously, and two was like eighty something. Right. Wow. 80, I think it was 87. I think it was 88. 87 or 80, 88. Yeah, okay. Phantasm was 88, so yeah, about nine years. For yeah, well, three was 94. Yeah. So, so no, four was 98, and Ravager was 2016, was 2016 just before yeah. Angus Scrim died. Right. Mm. What was the reason for that? Was it just they had a hard time putting together the money for each subsequent sequel? People kind of forgot about Phantasm for a while. Oh. So, and then it, like, somehow came back with a vengeance in the 80s. Yeah. Well, a part of it probably, well, It's I don't 80s know. as fuck. I can see why yeah. people had a, re, a, a more of an interest in the 80s than maybe the late 70s. Because it was kind of out there. Yeah. It is yeah. kind of out there. <laughs> yeah. It's very yeah, it, out there. It, it, it's out there. But I think, yeah, I think it is partially the, the 80s thing of kind of the resurgence of horror movies and mm. like a more it has uh, fucking Jawas Jawas yeah. are still bodies <laughs> yeah and this would have been what two years after Star Wars so mm. uh, yeah but but Phantasm actually started creation before or like before Star Wars was even a thing really uh, was yeah. it I thought it took I thought, I thought production was a year on it yeah, um, but like all the production, but like all the um, designing and the, stuff, Coscarelli had like years before. Oh, okay, gotcha. He had yeah. that all sort of done years ago. So the Jawas are literally just coincidental. <laughs> the Jawas and yeah. the body dwarves <laughs> who were played and by kids. Said... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not that's not appropriate at all. <laughs> well, they couldn't get dwarves because they were too expensive. So they used child labor. <laughs> they, they literally just use someone's kids. They just use someone's uh, kids. Okay. Yeah, in general, it was a pretty troubled, well, at least difficult production because mm-hmm. a lot of it was like done on the fly, like just whenever 
anybody was available, essentially, yeah. is how they did a lot of the shooting. Mm-hmm. It's just like, okay, so this actor's available now. And you know, for that, it's actually fairly coherent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we talk, We are going to talk a little bit more about how it is kind of disjointed and the script's kind of disjointed. And one thing not, doesn't necessarily lead into the other in the most perfect sense, but you and I were talking about when we watched it, Zach, and... I don't know. I thought it fit together pretty well. Yeah. Like it was. Yeah, I understood it. I didn't necessarily yeah. love it. It's one of my dad's yeah. favorite horror movies. Yeah. Yeah. No, it works well. And yeah. I can trust my dad on not many things, but on horror movies, <laughs> we have a pretty similar taste. So. Well, but your dad also likes evolution. So. <laughs> oh God. Uh, no, that's right. No, I'm pretty sure. No, yeah, that is my dad. And my stepdad likes evolution. <laughs> I found out the other day. Oh God! Okay. Look. Well, we don't trust. <laughs> we don't trust. It's the a mixed bag. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. This is fairly coherent for being shot like on the fly, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and for one dude, basically doing nearly everything in it, it actually like even the effects are pretty decent. Considering oh, the effects are great. Yeah. For the time, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I like it a lot. Like yeah. the the spheres are funny. We're going to talk about the spheres more. They have very <laughs> they are very funny. But if you get past the funniness, and I mean, if you if you look at it as a cult film, because I mean, it did become a cult film, right. and it definitely is. I mean, are we calling it a B movie? I mean, it's pretty. It's, it's it has a B movie yeah, budget. It's, it's kind of a B movie. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, those effects fit right in with what you would expect totally. from a movie of that genre. Yeah, so especially it, it's yeah, Jimmy Custard Fingers. I love, <laughs> <Yeah>. I love <laughs> Jimmy Custard Fingers. <laughs> I think it, one of that was because they had to. They'd already had a lot of blood already, so they had to change the color of the blood to like make sure it wasn't like human. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's 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 an easy yeah uh, an easy visual change that I, that I see is very obvious. Because yeah, you wouldn't want him to just bleed like normal because then that would kind of skew the lines too much. You want him to be a distinctly different creature than a human. That's his whole shtick is that he's not human. So why would he bleed the same way as a right? Human? Yeah. So that totally makes sense stylistically to yeah. me. Yeah, uh, the bat thing is interesting. Um, oh, the fly, the massive fly. Yeah. Oh, he was awesome. It's a, it's a bad favorite. fly thing. It's a Muppet. <laughs> it, it's a it's a creature, and we love it. We respect it. I think I'll name him Jeff. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. It's like Jeff, um, the bat fly. The spider in a fucking... Gr- the Grim Adventures oh, of yeah, Billy Mandy. Oh, yeah, Grim Adventures of Billy Mandy. Yeah, his name was Jeff, wasn't it? Yeah, Jeffy. Yeah. Jeffy, Jeffy. Oh man, God, that was good. That was good. I love Jeffy. He he meant so well. Anyway, so did this uh, fly. Yeah, but the plot, yeah, is very. It's it's just disjointed, and and we'll like I said, we'll kind of get into depth about it later because partially that was a production thing, but also it kind of ended up being stylistic in maybe an accidental way. Um, mm. Because a lot of it is very dreamlike, and especially the ending, you realize that maybe it seemed intentional. Because he actually shot different endings. Yeah, there um, were quite a few different endings. Yeah, really? Oh, he sh- okay. he shot different endings, but because he was doing it basically independently, he had the power to choose the ending that he wanted to do. Huh. So there wasn't a whole lot of studio and, say in that. Yeah. And then for two, because it was so ambiguous with one, the studio who picked up two made them do it really definitively. <laughs> So rather than the ambiguity of the dreamlike ending of one, they were like, no, it has to be, like, definitive. Huh. Right. So, 
let's talk about characters because uh, you know that's what we do with a lot of these like older uh, 70s and 80s uh, horror films because a lot of them are fairly character focused let's say um they're they're not they, they typically don't have as much unless it's fairly intentional they have they don't have as much substance in this the sense of like trying to have a message i guess because a lot of them are you know it's just like sex is bad uh this one doesn't really have sex that much in it uh, no, sure. it's surprisingly sexless but when yeah. there is sex or at least sexual moments it's like oh you're fucked <laughs> Yeah, literally and figuratively. Um, yeah. But really, the only the only sex scenes are with uh, the the tall man uh, slash uh, what you have put here as the titty lady. <laughs> uh, that, I feel really bad, but that's all I remember her by. It's just the big titty lady. Did she have a name? I can't remember. If she she doesn't have had a name, though. No. Yeah, she's the harbinger of death for men with handlebar mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> She's yeah. just another or, form of the tall man. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that that's that's really um that the tall oh. man's in not... Lady in Lavender is what uh IMDB lists her as. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. That yeah, that's yes yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> um yeah, so she's really kind of his a uh, um his lure for people, um specifically men who wanna fuck in a graveyard. Um that he changes to kind of enticement and to kill them so he has more uh, bodies for his weird Jawa harvest. Um, I, I I don't know. It's a, it's there's not really I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know what to say about him other uh, other than that's uh, an interesting way to go about it. <laughs> I would like to ask because I I found that to be ambiguous. I was sitting earlier thinking about his motivation for killing. Is it because he needs more he needs humans slaves. to transform into the yeah. into the goblin army? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're his slaves. The tall, okay. the tall man has a very particular mo. He's from this planet, Dimension. and he needs to make dead people into slaves. Do um, we know the purpose? No. They never really explain it. <laughs> Not even in the later ones. It's that well they might in the do, later ones. F- fuck if I remember. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so basically the idea is that he has to shrink them down because the gravity in the planet is so high, I think. Yeah, is what the it gravity is. is so high and the planet so hot. Right. Yeah, so he has to make small ones because they would get crumpled otherwise, I guess, is is the way it goes. Um, but yeah, it's never really explained why he needs him. Maybe he needs him for mining. <laughs> or no, just, we are know, guessing. Just, you know, or, or like he, for he diamond farming. He just needs him for a good pedicure or something, you know? He's got a slave <laughs> for everything. Oh. Yeah. It's never explained why exactly no. that he needs slaves, but he is making them out of dead bodies. Yeah, he just has... The only thing that you see of the dimension is just like that trail of them. Like when it's what is it Reggie that, or is it Mike or Reggie that goes through? It's those? Mike. It's Mike that falls through. Yeah, and I mean, so he sees a big line of them just kind of shuffling off into the red uh, horizon on like a craggy, basically dead planet. That's- Which you know, I was thinking about it. Jody would have had to been really fucking strong to hold Mike up by his belt, especially since there was more gravity on the other side. Uh, 
Yeah. I was just thinking about that logistically. It would be very difficult. But uh, also, it's never really established, and Isaac and I got into a huge debate about this, uh, about whether the tall man is interdimensional or, or extraterrestrial, uh, and th- whether he's from a different planet or from a different dimension. I think it's interdimensional, uh, technically, because he travels through space and time. Right, so does that make the planet Earth? I'd- if it's a different dimension? Or is he traveling through space well, as can, well as you time. can you can change dimensions and be in different places too yeah you know what exactly I mean? that's what i was saying that's yeah. why i was wondering is he also traveling through space as opposed to just time again we're not i sure. think we might have to refer to a sequel for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not sure just from the first movie yeah, yeah. there's so it never is very, a, it is very ambiguous there's never a, a ship found let's put it that way yeah uh well the house they probably is didn't have a transported <laughs> at the end like the funeral homes transported. Well, it's swallowed by the big dimensional rift. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's not. It's not moved because it's a ship. It's swallowed because it's being internalized by a big rift. Uh, it's kind of kind of like the ending of Ant. What? No, was it not Ant Evil? Or the, pol- the Poltergeist, mm-hmm. where the house just eats itself. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I love the. So the tall man. Yeah. The Tall Man's a great villain. Just the fact that there's so little that you know about him and he ha- you have no idea what most of his motivation is kind of makes it strange and adds to the quality of it being very dreamlike, yeah. very ambiguous. The fact that you don't know what the fuck is going on and it's never explained is a fun fact about this movie. I don't know if it lends to the movie being better or worse because <laughs> of it. You he's, know what I mean? It, it <laughs> he's so imposing with his height. And what's better is they gave him a suit that was like two sizes too small to yeah. make him look taller. Like, yep. well, and they gave him platform shoes yeah. too. And he was already like six something. He's six, six four. four. Yeah, yeah. Ang- Angus Scrim is six four, and Angus Scrim did a, a, a pretty good job as his character. By the it's, way, oh yeah, no, he, I, uh, rest in peace. Yeah, I, um, I was really sad he would, when this Angus movie. Died. If it wasn't Angus Scrim, I don't know who else they would have got to play it, and I don't know if I would have liked yeah. the movie because he he his presence makes a lot of what Phantasm is. That guy, that guy who played the farmer and Babe. You can't. No, I feel like no, I don't like him for this. <laughs> I feel like you can't you can't have anyone else as the tall man. Angus was the tall man, you know. Yeah, it's like if you re- when you recast Freddy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Freddy, Freddy doesn't, kind of Freddy doesn't thing, become yeah. Freddy anymore. Yeah, it's very much it's the same sort of like symbiotic relationship. But in this instance, it's not his character, his voice, and his quips. In this instance, it's just his imposing stature and his face. Yeah, his yeah. Face well, makes and so the way he says things too is, oh, yeah, is yeah, true. But he has very he does have very limited lines though. He only has a few lines of dialogue in the whole. Thing. But that's yeah. what makes it so much better. True. Is when he does actually talk, it's like fuck. Like, yeah, exactly. you know? like that yeah, first it. moment when you first meet him, and he just puts his hand on Jody's shoulder and just goes, "The funeral is about to begin." Like yeah. fuck. There's also <laughs> yeah. that moment where he's walking past the ice cream Reggie's ice cream truck, and it's so yes. you think it's inconsequential, but you just see him like stop because he's because the cold is obviously painful and he's just doing that oh, with his shit. hands yeah and it's i hadn't really caught that yeah. that's interesting yeah it's like the cold is painful to him or, like that's how i interpret I, I'm it i'm the same way and it's just, <laughs> i'm the same way it's yeah. just oh it's just a brilliant shot and moment because you don't think well yeah because it. it's right it's so it's all slow motion <laughs> and he like turns real slowly 
and then like the way it's that smoke's coming out of the ice cream truck it's just it's set it's set really yeah. well hmm. like it's a really great shot um which i don't know it's it's cool that it was put together so well by one person yeah. essentially you know mm. what i mean yeah it's, like i said i didn't even catch that so that's really cool yeah and then he just walks away oh no it's beautiful <laughs> yeah. And I will say that I think that without Angry Scram and without the Tall Man, Phantasm would have been like a nothing movie. Because if we move on to the other characters, at least in this one, I can't speak to the other ones, but the characters are kind they're not, okay, I'm going to say kind of weak. Just, you better it's not, not shit on characters Reggie aren't here. great. You better not fucking shit on Reggie, <laughs> because I will defend Reggie with my fucking life. He's, <sighs> I will say he's probably the only one I like. Like, let's talk about Jody and Mike. Yeah. Like, fucking, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Mike isn't inconsequential because he does come, he is in at least two of the sequels. And Jody, okay. can't, I think he's also in four or five. I don't remember. I think he's in most of the sequels, but he's not as great a character. I mean, Reggie becomes the main character, so. Yeah. Like, I feel like they have. A- I feel like the thing to say about Jody and Mike is that it's their dynamic that is pushing the story forward in a yeah. way because you say we, we say there aren't that many themes in this. That's the only thing I would say that this is. It's uh, it's definitely uh, it's Mike's you know coming to terms with the fact that his brother is leaving, and like when he sees him in the in the graveyard with the girl, like he's coming to terms with the fact that his brother is more interested in other things now than him. And that's pretty much what's spurring him onward. So he's about But they to... both do say wow when she shows yeah. her tits. True. I mean, I think <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said wow when she showed her tits too. So <laughs> let's be, but I don't let's know. be honest. I don't know. I think that's the only the only message I got. is it, it, not, Maybe not a coming of age, but it's definitely like a loss of innocence type thing of him having to come to terms with the fact that his brother is leaving. Life will be different now. And, you know, things might not be the same anymore. And he really wants them to stay the same as much as possible. He hangs on Jody all the time. Like, he's I mean, always... I the little fucker yeah, well, a... him, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, but the, the thing is, is that if we're to believe the ending in the way that it's... It, it You know, it can be interpreted is that Jody died. Yeah. So, he's really... What he's doing is he's having a dream about his brother leaving, but his brother actually left as in died. Right. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like, it's a big... Basically, it's a big allegory. Like, the dream mm-hmm. is, like, supposed to be representative. Like, you know yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah, supposed exactly. to be, like... It's like him leaving and realizing that they grew apart and that that kind of thing. And just, I don't know. You know, part of it's regret, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, for um, sure. But I don't know. That's, a, that's the only, like, real, like, deeper theme that I found in this movie. A lot of it is more stylistic imagery, you know, cool, weird, dimensional shit. And Jody also like, doesn't you really can, personality. Let's be honest. Oh, no. Oh, Jody sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't stand it. His him. entire personality is black Plymouth Barracuda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, old, the old fucking fortune teller woman has more personality than Jody. I love her. I, I was going to talk about her a little bit after we get the principal characters out of the yeah. way. Because that She's scene good. is probably it's my favorite scene. scene. And it's a good I'll, scene. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that at the end. Good scene. But, um, I don't know. Jody... It's a real wet blanket throughout this whole thing. <laughs> he he just doesn't emote very well. 
Uh, at first, we were, we were when we were watching it, we thought he was a complete persona non gratis, <laughs> and we thought that he had no internet presence whatsoever, and so we were about to just recreate his entire Wikipedia page, <laughs> <laughs> because we thought he was never in anything else other than this, and then we made the mistake of going to IMDb and finding out he is an actor that's been in things, so yeah. we decided not to <laughs> not, do that to the man. Not much, but he, he didn't have a Wikipedia page, so I was, I was a little excited there for a second, like, oh shit, I get to write this whole man's history uh but then, but then it turns out he has an imdb page unfortunately um and it's not that he's a bad actor i think part of it with all these characters that they had a, a minimal amount of material to work with in correct. order to emote properly yeah. and to give a good performance they hardly had a script yeah so like their acting chops should not be judged by this movie their characters can totally be judged and jody sucks the dick <laughs> hey there's nothing wrong with sucking a dick, okay? <laughs> so don't make it sound like that. There ain't nothing wrong with sucking a dick. He just, his read's not very good. <laughs> he just sucks at it. Yeah, He true. just inhales turds through his nose. Okay. <laughs> um, so you think of it on the flip side. Mike just fucking overacts and is overdramatic. And again, still doesn't have personality, but he just emotes too mm-hmm. much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The whole, the whole thing where he's sitting at his desk huffing and puffing, like with the shotgun shell, yeah. that's... yeah. For whatever reason, I like that, like that, that moment where he's running through the cemetery screaming. Yeah. yeah. For whatever reason, like, I, I found myself enjoying Mike's performance more than Jody's, so... I agree. Oh, yeah. So overacting, I think, lends itself well to this movie because of how over-the-top the rest of the movie is. Right. Definitely overact the shit out of it. As opposed to Reggie, who doesn't seem to be acting, I think that's just who he is. He's just a guy like, hey, let's play guitar for a little bit. Oh, there's interdimensional creatures around? Far out! Let's fucking blow up this house. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's Reggie. <laughs> Reggie Reggie is the, the only reason. That the guy who played Mike lives in Austin. Oh, oh yeah? <laughs> Sick. Yeah. Uh, the only reason that uh, Tall Man gets defeated is because of Reggie, though. Yeah. I mean, I fucking He's, love Reggie. Reggie mm, is my boy. Whether intentional or not, but yeah. he touches the things. Mm-hmm. And he realizes they're uh, like um, a tuning forks. fork. Yeah. yeah. And he's the one that shows up. He's like a, a mainstay throughout the whole series, right? Oh, yeah, no. He is literally like he becomes the, like, <laughs> the main character. That's weird. Because he, no. so, he is so ancillary in this one, to a certain degree, and then him him to be the one that carries on through each is kind of funny. <laughs> and it's even yeah. funnier because, like, he has, like, all this, like, so much sex appeal, and in, like, all the fucking sequels, he's always getting the girl. He's always, you know... He's, like, the... the he's the Ash of the Phantasm series. Oh. I mean, he has the most personality. I can see why. You know what I mean? Like, he definitely... I don't see him hamming it up or not hamming it up enough. Like, he's right in that sweet yeah. spot of being just a good character. He's the ice cream man. Yeah, exactly. The bow tie doesn't do him any favors, but, like, I can look past Oh, it that. does for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, um, before, you, before anyone asks, the tall man is on my list. Reggie is surprisingly not. Oh, on your list of fuckables? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Stephen yeah. literally just messaged me going, you should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, honey. <laughs> no, so Reggie is just brilliant. Reggie is such a good... Like, he's just a well-rounded character because he's like... He's the dorky sidekick. 
but is so enjoyable that it's not annoying. He right. also does. He also is very down to help his friends in mm. the in the face of garbage happening. Like, like Jody, Jody's very apprehensive to like believe Mike early on, right. and then then he sees a finger. He's like, oh, "Okay, I believe you." Yeah, in the Reggie, most not believable scene, Reggie just somehow straight up believes him just from the get go, as it were. Reggie's just yeah. like, "Yeah, Reggie's on a lot of Reggie's on a lot of drugs." Probably <laughs> look, uh, it's the ice cream. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's laced. It's laced <laughs> yeah. ice cream. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I did want to talk about um, just... There is a very small scene at the beginning where uh, Mike goes to see a fortune teller and her daughter... Granddaughter, granddaughter I think. Daughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not entire, wasn't entirely sure. Thank you for clarifying. But goes to see her. I don't remember the reason why. Is it just because of his... Um, yeah, I think he's scared he's about... Sh- He's having. What was it? He's scared about his future, and also, I think at this point he may have had some sort of weird dream. Yeah, it was either dreams, and I mean, scared about his future is definitely, like I said, I think that's a big yeah. part of his character. And then, I think by that point he might have already seen the tall man throwing the coffin into the truck and everything. Yeah. Or into yes. the hearse. So yeah. he's scared about that as well. He goes to see this fortune teller, and. She doesn't say anything. She's just an imposing presence. And her his uh, her granddaughter tells uh, Mike to put his hand in box, please. Put, <laughs> put a hand in box and don't put be scared. Hand in box. <laughs> yeah. And then he has a Luke Skywalker going into the tree moment yes. for a second, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then learns that fear is the biggest problem, and or fear is what's gonna you know take you down. And so that's kind of his motivation to keep investigating and to try to fuck up the tall man. Well, uh, which is, like I said, I just think it's an interesting scene. It's shot really well. Yes. The only thing that takes me out of it is the granddaughter gives the most monotone line readings of all time. And it's great. Yeah. Well, she's <laughs> yeah. supposed to be sort of impassive, but she also shows up, like, in a couple times in the movie as, like, kind of a character. Does she as, show up again? Yeah, she's a couple times, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember after a, that. She's person. in the car with them, and then she uh, shows up later, like, and she opens the door and sees the the room that has all of the barrels and the, the, the oh, dimensional lift. Oh, she's there for that? Lift. Yeah, she's the one who, opened, who we first see open the door. Oh, I totally forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. But, yeah, she she is a relatively interesting character in the sense that she's kind of like a... Uh, she kind of carries things along mm-hmm. in, a, in, a yeah. weird, in her own way, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. Yeah, characters aren't really the strongest here. I mean, obviously, the most imposing, both figuratively and liter- literally, is Tall Man. So that's 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 where it kind of falls. Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, like we said, a lot of it has to, has to do with kind of Jody and Mike's relationship and them like reconciling things with each other mm. before he leaves but I think like I said when you relate it to the dream sense of like this is a dream and Jody's really dead then you kind of look at it as like it's kind of Mike trying to create a false scenario where he has an opportunity to reconcile things with Jody before mm-hmm. he dies Yeah, like if you've ever seen um, you ever seen that movie Brazil no uh, there's yes. a movie Brazil. It was done by Terry Gilliam. Um, there's a part where he goes in for like memory surgery or something. Like they capture him and he does a thing. But then he has this big elaborate sequence where he escapes and gets away and goes away with the girl of his dreams from the weird British dystopia and all this type of shit. 
And then it pans back at the very end of the movie, and he's still sitting in the surgery chair, and he died, like, in the chair. Oh. And so it, it's very yeah. similar to that, where, like, there was a point where all of this ceases to be real, and right. you don't realize it until the very end, and where there's a kind of a real reveal of, that wasn't the case. And you, and you know, I really <laughs> wish I could have memory surgery to remove that Eagles documentary from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> The Eagles did not deserve a callback in this episode. <laughs> you did this to yourself again. There is a way you can have memory surgery. Just get severe head trauma. Or better yet, just fucking... Oh God, what's what's his name? Wrote Dirty Laundry? Get really into him instead. Leader of the, the, leader of the Eagles? Not Don McLean. Is it Don McLean? Oh, oh you mean... <laughs> You mean... Donald Pleasance, too? <laughs> What's his name? Don Henley. <laughs> yeah, that's his name. <laughs> Get Donald. really into him, and then <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy the Eagles less. Donald no, actually, the first two? concert... The, the first concert I ever went to was Don Henley. Yeah, see? see you I, already have a... You already, I fucking hate Don you, Henley. You already have a step up on hating the Eagles more because you you can now start to love Don Henley. <laughs> Speaking of music, uh, uh, a lot of shit it has to be said about the score of this thing because it's unique and interesting in its own right. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of information uh, about how... The score was written, and specifically the like the thought process behind it. I mean, you can tell it's inspired by some other movies, but uh, it was co-written by Fred Miro and Malcolm Seagrave, uh, and is clearly inspired by things like Suspiria and The Exorcist and all those types of movies. They, it very, it's a very Goblin-esque score, oh, like yeah. you said before. And when I, when I first heard it, I thought it was a Goblin score because it feels very much like their style of writing, and the music is. Almost an iconic score to me, in the sense that it's it, it is almost rememberable, but it doesn't have like any like hooks to it. I guess you know what I'm saying. Like it doesn't it doesn't have a hook in the same way like the Suspiria score does, in the sense that you can remember it really easily. Uh, but that's probably because like Suspiria beats you over the head with the score, like most of the movie. Oh, yeah. You know <laughs> what? What I find kind of disappointing about the Phantasm score is that yeah, that that main bit. Is really good. Yes, it's very evocative of Halloween, of Exorcist, of Suspiria, of tubular, of tubular bells, the Exorcist right, song. Yeah, it's very evocative of that, and I love it, and it's great. And you hear it, and you're immediately like, "That's that shit from that horror movie." And you can't think of what horror movie it is because right. it's Phantasm. Yes. That's how. But it's really, but it's really good. I think where it falls short is. I don't love the score of Phantasm overall. There are parts of the score that I really dislike. And I don't think they use the good parts of the score well. Like, there are parts of the movie that I feel like have really uninspired music and just kind of like just filler music. And I think at one point there was some music that I thought was like from just like random 80s movie. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. Like, we talked about it, there was like a, a car chase or something, and I was like, what is this a buddy cop movie? Yeah. Like, what is going on here? The music was very, it was almost like Danny Elfman bullshit music. <laughs> like, do, 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 do. Just really, like, not inspired, <laughs> not horrific at all. Not a horror soundtrack. And so, like, I think the placement of the Phantasm song was too sparse. And I guess you could say that they un they didn't want to overuse it. But you don't really overuse 
a horror mm-hmm. score, you use it properly. Right. And I just feel like this one didn't do it like that. Like, you don't get tired of ha- the Halloween song in Halloween because they use it when you're like, oh, shit. Shit's happening. Shit's happening. Right. And you don't get tired yeah. of Tubular Bells in Exorcist because you're like, okay, the devil's around now. Well, you, you know, hear it's Tubular like, Bells it's, it's, once in the Exorcist. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Right. I thought they used it more mm-hmm. than that. I thought they used it a couple times. No, I, only, I would have to rewatch yeah, it. I only, watched it. You only bit. hear it once, but it's so iconic that mm. you remember it. And it's yeah, only true. like you know I mean? a very small section of Jupiter Bells. True. And that's the other thing about Phantasm. I feel like it doesn't have any movements. And I know a lot of horror scores don't. But like it doesn't have like a second act to that Phantasm song. Like It doesn't transition into anything. Right. It just is that riff. Uh, to, to <laughs> hark, and that's it. To hark back to what you were saying about it doesn't get overused. I'm glad it doesn't get overused in this one, because holy fuck, the sequels, I remember just, at least the main theme, being used all the fucking time, but not to its advantage. Is it like one of those NES games where they just play the same, like, seven second loop over and over again (laughs) throughout the whole level? Kind of. I feel that at (laughs) least within Phantasm, when they do use the main theme, it is used well. I... Mm-hmm. Don't really remember much about the score right now, <laughs> which is a little handy. But I said it just does sort of sound like generic Goblin score. But yeah, it de- it does sound like a a, a B side to a Goblin album. Let's say yeah, but that and again, and again, theme is really fucking like it sticks in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was about to say, I have a lot of negative things to say about the way music is used, but that, that music is really good when they do use it right, and right. I, I really enjoy it. But unfortunately, just overall, musically, the movie doesn't stand out as a, as a whole. Yeah. Right. It stands out for that theme, and unfortunately doesn't have too much else to offer, and it's kind of disappointing. Right. That's pers- me personally. No, I, I agree. I tend to agree. I mean, because we, we've done so many movies that had great music. And you notice one that doesn't have amazing mm-hmm. music. Yeah. It's that, like I said, it, it almost has good music. Mm-hmm. Let me put it that way. is It almost has good music, but then, yeah, when it gets into those, the chase scene especially has that weird fucking, you're right, it's like buddy cop mm-hmm. film music, and it just doesn't I work, genuinely don't you know? remember, the, like, that bit. Portion of it. It's fine. You don't need to. Yeah, it's forgettable. That's probably why you you don't remember yeah. it. I think there are some other parts where the sound effects are done really good, though. I, I feel like, I, if I remember correctly, the sound effects, like when they are in the the barrel room uh, with the with the tuning forks, and when they look into the other dimension and stuff, there's a lot of cool ambient sounds and ambient noises yeah. and stuff like that. So, like the sound design overall is really cool. Yeah, the musically th- it falls short. The thwomp. When you hit, when the silver sphere hits the guy's head. Oh yes, like, that's please. a real fucking good sound. It's just like you, you mean it, when it bloops onto his forehead? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean and that was a really. I mean it. It does cement it as a buddy cop film, and or not buddy cop. The movie uh, cult film, not buddy cop. It's a buddy cop film now. Oh man, I'm gonna re-edit oh, no. a trailer for it that's mixed into a buddy cop film. Oh my god, oh, please. It's like Jody and... Reggie turned into yeah. an ice cream man after getting kicked off the force. <laughs> but Jody's dealing with his little brother while he's trying to solve the crime of the century. What? What? <laughs> I've been watching way too much South Park, guys. Sorry. <laughs> I love uh, it. I, I want this movie now. <laughs> mm. 
Harvest of the Dead. As we drift off to sleep every night, we often find ourselves going through uh, our uh, day in our heads. Uh, you know, we think about every person we interacted with, the task we performed, and most often we think about the day that we have ahead of us. And when we fall asleep, we start to enter a mode of consciousness called REM, or rapid eye movement sleep. And uh, the state of sleep has been studied by scientists for many years, and they, they still don't know a whole lot about it, but we know that about 80% of dreams happen in REM sleep. Um, and dreams themselves are even less understood than REM sleep, and many scientists have several theories about why we dream. Um, largely, it's believed that sleeping is a way for our uh, brain to compile information, and we dream because when the brain is activating, when it's compiling this information, that it randomly activates memory sectors as it's compiling, uh, and this produces dreams. Basically, it creates a set of images in our heads uh, when this happens. That's that's the theory, at least, but there's not any solid theory on it, let's say. There hasn't been enough solid experimentation to know for sure. Um, others believe that dreams are just subconscious manifestations, and by that they have a deeper meaning because basically your brain, your subconscious trying to tell you stuff about um, yourself, essentially, in a way. Uh, and maybe about the world in general, uh, or at least your, what your subconscious believes about the world in general. Uh, in any case, there's no solid answers, uh, which makes for an interesting topic because of its ambiguity. So... I want to. I want to say, let's talk about dreams that we've had before. Have, have any of you e- had reoccurring dreams before? Yeah, I've only had one actual reoccurring dream. I have reoccurring dreamscapes. I go to similar places, or actually the same place, all the time. There's like three or four different places that I see repeatedly, but I've only ever had one reoccurring dream. Chrissy, why don't you start? Because I feel like I have oh. bullshit to talk about. <laughs> no, mine is real bullshit. I fucking hate. I fucking hate this dream. I've had it a couple of times, and every time Stephen mocks me for it. It's a dream where I marry Rich Evans from Red Letter Media. I don't even like Rich <laughs> in that way. Like Rich is funny. I don't even like, but like every time, it's Rich being annoying me on certain things to do with the wedding like we went like we were doing like flower like looking at flower arrangements and he was just being really annoying and like really like bored so I was getting annoyed and every single dream is just another aspect of the wedding where I get annoyed at Rich and I'm pretty sure that started happening just after I started dating Stephen and I have a feeling (laughs) when we start wedding planning which will be kind of soon it will happen more Mm-hmm. And I'm going to fucking hate it. <laughs> it. It's definitely tied to um, states, states of mind and stuff like that. The only reoccurring dream I've ever had, uh, it was always when I was younger, living in my parents' house. Uh, and this happened a lot through when I was a child. I always had um, uh, your classic chasing dream, uh, like something chasing you. And it was always, um, do you remember what the the... You remember in Aladdin where it's the zombie where he says, don't bring anybody back from the dead. Yeah. You might not like the, the results. He's like the zombie yeah. Robin Williams genie. It's that chasing me through <laughs> like a warped version of my house and my yard. Mm. Uh, and I had that a lot as a kid after I saw Aladdin. It wasn't really because of Aladdin. 
Um, but it was just a thing that I had really, really often um, when I was younger. I haven't had that dream in, in years and years and years. Um, the recently, like I said, the trend right now is that I have I go to the same places in my dreams all the time. Um, one that happened very recently. This was like last night, in fact. Um, I had a dream a few weeks ago where my boss from my previous job, my screen printing place, was the leader of a heist ring, and we were trying to break through a wall in an abandoned building to get to a safe on the other side, and we had, like, a little, like, clubhouse uh, adjacent to it. And uh, it's that and the abandoned hallway leading to the wall we were trying to break through that is a common dreamscape right now. And my old boss is always there because he's a sleazy 80s business businessman. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, another one, I always have this, um, there's an anime called Martian Successor Nadesco. Uh, it's about a big ship that goes through space and it's a pretty good anime. I always have a dream of going into a big convention hall like for an anime convention it's it's completely empty, but there's a gigantic replica of the Martian successor Nadesco, like the Nadesco ship, just sitting there. <laughs> That's a place I'll go to often. Um, and other than that, the other common dream style that I have is being in school and knowing, specifically college, and knowing that I've missed like the last three or four weeks of a class and there's a test coming up. <laughs> the, like that, that's I get a fairly a lot. common dream. Exactly, that's like what I'm thing, saying. Yeah. Like, like knowing that it's like, oh shit, I'm gonna fail this semester now. Right. Um, so those are like the the common ones that I have. But my dreams are off the wall; they go all over the place. Yeah. Um, I don't. I've never really had recurring dreams. I've never really had a recurring dream. Let's say I have dreams I don't remember. And I, I would say most recently, a lot of my dreams have to do with being late mm-hmm. to things. Yeah. Uh, because that's like one of the things I fucking fear most is being like late like waking up late mm-hmm. or being late to uh like a show or being late to work or mm-hmm. being late to whatever and i think that's that's the they're really nightmares to me because i just mm-hmm. i'm a very prompt person i'm yeah. i try to be on time with everything and that really bothers me um ha, you know it's interesting though have either of you had any premonition dreams uh where you where you had a dream where you felt like you saw the future, and I know that's a really kind of strange, off the wall topic to talk about, but I only say that because my mom had one, and it turned out to be this... real, and that was uh, with the that Pan Am flight that went down mm. uh, back in the nineties. Uh, she actually had a dream about it and saw the logo on the plane's tail in her dream, and then it happened a couple days later. Uh, the same night. My my uncle died, unbeknownst to me, because obviously we didn't know because he died in the night. We didn't know till the morning. I had a dream where we were just visiting him, and it was like I knew that was going to be the last time. If you get my meaning, because like in that dream I was like, yeah, yeah. No, this is like the last time. And it turns out it was right. So yeah, um, but. I don't really feel it was a premonition, though. I think it was just me processing that at the time. Yeah, there probably is something to that. But yeah. I don't know. Zach See, Bagans would probably tell me I knew it. I can buy his new book, Ghost Hunting <laughs> for Dummies. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've ever had any dreams 
that were premonitions yet. To at the, at the same token, um, I don't know. Like that's never been a dream. Like I'll I'll sit and I'll, I'll think about meanings to dreams, and I'll think if anything has any um, you know relevance. But for whatever reason. A lot of times, I just use dreams as story ideas more than anything. Uh, yeah. Because my dreams go all over the place. Uh, and I just have just crazy things that pop into my head, and I have no explanation for them. My dreams, if they were premonitions, I would never be able to decipher. Let's put it that <laughs> way. No, because they go yeah. all over the place. They yeah. really do. Um, and I think that uh, to transition from our dreams a little bit to another uh, theory about what dreams are, because uh, you talked about uh, it, that it's the brain compiling everything from yes. the day. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to NPR not too long ago. One of the common theories right now is that it's not so much it's the brain compiling, but it's the brain processing and siphoning out the bullshit. Like the stuff that's not important. It's it discarding and making room for new memories. Just cause, just like a computer system, the brain theoretically must have like a limit of data that it can randomly access like while you're awake slash while you're asleep and everything like that so dreams are the process of filtering out and discarding as opposed to just putting into like the 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 backup data right and that's just a different theory neither of them is right or wrong because we don't know that is that is very true the dreams are not understood i will say that i find the rem sleep and that's when most dreams happen to be really interesting because i have a lot of dreams that are half dreams that are dreams where I'm, I'm, I know I'm about to fall asleep, but I'm not asleep yet. And stuff's happening, which is like the early stages of REM. And then I have dreams at that point. And then I'll wake back up like 15 minutes later. And it wasn't like, you know, nothing's going on. And it wasn't like, unless I'm having like miniature REM episodes, you know what I mean? It could, that could be it. But it's just like, I, I dream in very weird ways sometimes. And I I don't understand why. Do you really? Holy fuck. I thought it was just me. Do, yeah. you, do, you, do you drink to go to sleep a lot? <laughs> no. But I just... I don't know. My brain's just fucked. No, one of the reasons that I was mentioning that is because, yeah, sometimes, like, you know, there are days when um, I've had a few beers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Beer is, a, like, al- any alcohol is apparently really disruptive to the REM process, to falling asleep. And so that's always what I've determined was anytime I have dreams like that, I know it's from nights when I have been drinking. And I'm like, okay, because it interrupts you because uh, it's the body saying either A, you need to pee, or B, you need to drink more. Because it's one of those two responses. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, you go into REM and you come back out of it really quick is what I've deduced is probably yeah. happening in those instances. Well, and they, they say that you have the most solid and coherent dreams in REM sleep. Yes. That's... um. That's typically what's believed, and they they say they the studies that they've done on REM sleep is that you have best you have your best dream recollection when you're woken up during REM sleep. Mm-hmm. So they would they had experiments where they would wake people up while they were in REM sleep, and they would make them tell what the dream that they were having was mm-hmm. about, yeah. and they had much better re- recollection if they were woken up during REM sleep than at the end of their sleep yeah. cycle, like when they just naturally woke up. So, I don't know, it, like, I think there's something to do, because 
One of the other things about REM sleep that is talked about a lot is that it's really similar to wakefulness as far as brain activity. Mm-hmm. So it's That's it's basically like your brain's awake but your body's asleep mm-hmm. is is how it works. No, I, I mean, I, yeah. I dreamed yeah. the other. I had the other night. The sensations that I had were very real, and I was mm-hmm. like, man, I totally un, like completely had that feeling. Like a physical like sensation yes. on my skin. I've had a lot of falling dreams. Oh, me too. Uh, yeah. I've had a lot of falling dreams and waking up like feeling oh, yeah. like I was falling. Mm-hmm. Um, I and, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> if I'm really in a dream, I will apparently start talking and can hold super long conversations. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, there was one time I was in Texas. <laughs> That I was having a conversation on like the uh, like a deep meaningful conversation on like the meaning of romance and of love and you know processing that I don't remember any of it. <laughs> I was apparently fast to fucking sleep and holding this huge conversation with Stephen because I woke him up to talk about it. Wow. I That's also crazy. recently I can tell you like in the past couple of weeks that I have been telling my <laughs> the stuffed animal I sleep with that uh, we're going to be late that we need to not keep Stephen waiting that he's being mean to Stephen and needs to fuck off <laughs> and that he that Mr. Bubbles is is a piece of shit but he is my friend <laughs> I also once told Stephen that he needs to go back to sleep while he was asleep? I woke him up, and I was like, time to go to bed, honey. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so, That comes from my dad, ta- though. I know that my dad talks in his sleep, so... Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I sleepwalk sometimes. That's a whole different discussion. I don't want to get into that right now. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about dreams, though. Okay, so we've talked about our dreams and our experiences with dreams. Now, there are uh, definitely a couple schools of thoughts about dreams... Um, a lot of times, what you hear from a lot of people um, is the very much it's always sunny for season uh, idea of dreams. Where uh, D starts telling Dennis about one of his dreams, and he's like, "I don't want to hear about your dreams. If 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 I'm not any, it, they're like they're like pictures. If I'm not any of any of them, and nobody's having sex, I don't care." <laughs> so, and that's a very and so I've had that in my brain ever since I saw that show. That's definitely an approach a lot of people take to dreams, where they just shrug them off. Whatever doesn't matter. Don't care. Then you go to the other extreme, and this is especially true in media. Media likes to make dreams seem very important. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This movie, other movies, yeah. Um, their the, dreams are this like kind of almost inception. Yeah, the, m- dreams are almost a spiritual experience, and so it's very interesting that the populace has two very different. Like those are the two extremes, and there's a lot of space within. But like I said, it, it, it's interesting to think that most people don't think they're important at all. Some people think they're really profound. And what what's the middle ground? And how does that fit in with this movie is kind of where I'm going Well, with this. so here's one thing. I kind of believe that there's something more to dreams than, than, than you know. I, I'm, I'm somewhere in between the incredibly profound and the me not caring about them mm-hmm. realm. Because I've, I've had so many experiences with dreams where I'm just like, there's got to be something to that, though. You know what I mean? Like, it, I mean, I'm largely influenced by my mom. That that mom 
the dream that my mom had about the the flight and how it was premonition sure. type dream. But also think of the scenario that I'm sure a lot of people have had before, where you're having a dream, and you you have this sound, and there's some sort of source of the sound in the dream, and then when you wake up. It, in, it ends up being, like, your alarm or something. Like, my, my sister had a dream that she was in a department store, and she had this bra on her hand, and then the, the sensor on it started buzzing, started going off. Mm. And when she woke up, that was her that was her alarm going off. But it's your brain creating a scenario in which that can happen when your brain couldn't have possibly known, like, unless it was subconscious. But even then, it's your brain building something around the scenario. Do you mm. know what I mean? Sure. And, and I, there has to be something to be said about the power of the unconscious mind in that sense, and the, sub, the subconscious mind in that sense of, of it creating something out of nothing, let's say, or something out of we're not sure what. I, I feel like in a lot of dream, like in a lot of cases, I feel like dreams are kind of like almost a tap into the collective unconscious because of like the weird things that sometimes happen in dreams. Oh, yeah. No, and I've always thought that, too. I mean, it's... Yeah. I, it's, it, there's no way to quantify that. That's the only thing, because there's a good... Um, uh, some people hate it, some people like it, but there was a, uh, a movie by... Oh, God, what's his name? Linklater? He's from... Um, I think he's the guy that did Boyhood. Oh, Lives Richard Linklater? Yeah. Uh, he did a movie called Waking Life. And it was this really well animated movie about dreams and how everyone is connected in the dream world and like I, I don't know this just like the dreams connect all of us in a certain way and I thought that was, I thought that was beautiful to a certain degree and I've thought that too that you know dreams connect us to something um, but I think I don't know where that falls apart is how willing you are to let that in. Yeah. Because most people are too busy to care. Yes. True. Um, and that's that's where I have like come to dreams. Like yeah. I think dreams are just fun. I, I just think dreams are kind of entertainment while I'm asleep and I love that. Like that's hilarious yeah. to me. Um, to, to find greater meaning in the dreams that I have daily would be folly because they're so all over the place. Yeah. And I can see how there are people that have much more meaningful dreams on a regular basis and see meaning to that. But I also would caution anyone that thinks that because we don't know what it is. You know True. what I mean? Yeah. I and, don't have meaningful I, dreams. I fucking dreamt about marrying Rich Evans. There ain't no fucking shit there. Well, so so in one in one way, I believe that dreams only have the meaning that you give to them. True. Um, I, that, that's that's what I would say as far as like an overarching generality to say about them. I also have a lot of personal thoughts about the collective unconscious, and there's certain things that I I believe about how we're connected subconsciously that we still don't know a lot about. And, 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 you know, this is evidenced in things like instinct, for instance. How do animals have instinct? You know, like when, you know, when a horse is born, for instance, a horse knows to stand up and walk when it's born, essentially. And that's an instinctual thing. But where does, where do those, where do animals get instinct from? Is it from... DNA is it from a, it is some sort of collective unconscious like a a like a 
knowledge that's passed genetically or like you know i don't know that's it's kind of things that i think about i guess when i start thinking about collective oh yeah no collective and collective stuff yeah um i want to think about it but but my brain too dumb (laughs) (laughs) what i would say about collective unconscious stuff is there are people i've known wink wink (laughs) who've done psychedelic substances a lot nudge nudge (laughs) That had a lot of very lucid ideas about being connected to an overall greater force of nature. Cough, and fe- cough. Yeah. <laughs> and feeling plugged into a whole zeitgeist, man. Um, and that's there. And arguably, or actually, honestly, not arguably, I think it can probably be very easily argued that people who are very spiritual and i don't care what spirituality it is i don't care if you're talking about uh eastern buddhism and like uh monk life and you know being very zen and getting in touch with nirvana or you know their belief system or i don't know white i'm not moms well enough to believe in ghosts no not ghosts i was going to say more religion religious stuff i mean yes ghosts too absolutely ghosts i mean if that's your touch to the spiritual or your your connection to the spiritual that's very valid and yeah. important and that is your connection to an overall thing. but I That feel- would be literally spiritualism. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I don't think any of that is wrong, but I think that they're... For the people that... See, I'm not talking about white mums with ghosts. That's the thing. I'm talking more that actual people that take spirituality to its... to its most centered, to its most personal. Like, when you do meditation day after day yes. and reach a point of enlightenment, or yeah. when you do pray to your 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 uh, respective deity religiously day after day and you find a source of peace and enlightenment that type of thing that is definitely eking you closest to what i would call a collective unconscious because you learn truths about humanity just by looking at it from another perspective and i think that's one thing dreams allow you to do is see it from another perspective that is one thing not that i'm it, like saying this is good but you know sometimes psychedelic drugs can put you in that mindset of seeing things from another perspective and feeling in touch with a sentimentality that perhaps is lost on you in your day-to-day life of having to work, having to pay bills, having to go to your job. Well, and I think, well, when you're doing psychedelics or when you're doing meditation or when you're doing, uh, when you're doing prayer and you're, you're very, you're trying to very much trying to tap into something like that, you are centering yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, you're cent- you're centering yourself in a in a sort of like in a mindful way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is like you drugs, psychedelics. It's a little bit more. That's what I'm saying. Convoluted. I don't I don't condone it, but yeah. it is it is a method of it's getting more, you it's into more, that space. It's more convoluted with with psychedelics. I would say because there's not in, in as much of an element of control. True. I would say because things can happen that mm-hmm. are out of your control in the sense of uh, doing psychedelics. But no. it is you you can center yourself. And that helps you gain perspective. Uh, now, really quick, because we've talked about dreams for a little bit. How does that apply to Phantasm? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the the theme of dreams goes throughout the movie. Sure. I mean, because we know it's a, we, you know, you watch it's a very dreamlike movie, and you, and at the end they're basically purporting that it was a dream the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see, like I said, we we see kind of subconsciously how the dream is 
an allegory for what actually happened in real life. Because mm-hmm. we, we see that we see Jody is, is leaving, quote unquote leaving, but he has already left in the the quote unquote real world, let's mm-hmm. say. And we're we're thinking that maybe the dream is basically a way of him saying goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um that as in Mike saying goodbye to Jody. And it's there's something to be said about that. I know maybe not all of that was intentional. Because part of it is editing, part of it was scripting, and you know all that sort of stuff. But there, uh, there is something to that in the way that it's edited. That it does feel like maybe that was the intention the whole time. And I mean, I could definitely see how this movie could be the type of dream because there probably is a, someone who's had the type of dream like this of uh, a processing of loss. Because I've heard of people, you know, going through, you know, after a traumatic event or something like that, going into and seeing like a loss happen and then you know living out their entire life in a dream to a certain point and then dying in a dream and then waking up and everything's fine you know what i mean those are those are documented dreams that people have right <laughs> and that's sometimes coping with loss sometimes coping with a loss that they think may happen soon you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so definitely I think Phantasm does embody that to a certain degree. Uh, it's a little undercut by the fact that the end is w- being woken up by the tall man. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's a shitty ending for a dream like that. You're just like, oh, fuck, I thought I figured this out. Yeah. And now reality's punching me in the face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it does have kind of an ambiguous ending in that that mm. is a little frustrating in the whole theory of it being a dream sense. Well, I think it works though. I think that that's like yeah. I said. I think that's the, the the fear of reality. Like if if we're if we're taking it from that from that perspective of it's him dealing with the loss of his brother, the tall man is really just hey he's dead. You know, coming back at him. Yeah, you know what I the mean. The fear of reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you're, you're right. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. I mean, and, yeah. and it comes together really well. Yeah. And I, I do think, in that sense, the plot is actually pretty underrated. Mm-hmm. I would say that the way the way that it's written and the way that it's put together is actually fairly underrated. Yeah, it doesn't always hit the mark and everything else, but I it's feel like definitely it's pretty unique in the sense of like not a lot of horror movies can kind of nail a plot right like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably uh, why it has such a cult following. Yeah, and actually. especially for for the budget that they had and for the the method in which it was created for the plot to still. Intentional or not, the plot still has a pretty deep meaning or a pretty uh, palpable meaning to the casual viewer, if you want to sit and look at it. You know what I mean? So, intentional or not, like it, do, it does service more than just being a B-movie. It does service well, yeah. to actually Well, a ton like of a, people have lost somebody, you know, yeah. especially somebody very close, and that's... Uh, it's universal. Right. It's a universal thought that I, I feel like a lot of people can relate to, and it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be... it. You know, reading into the idea of dreams or it being, you know, a subconscious manifestation or what have you, yeah. uh, I think it's it's fairly universal, and that's it should have been a bigger movie, in my opinion, because just because of that, because of how universal a lot of the things that it talks about yeah. are. You know? Oh yeah. Re- really quick, how how do the sequels approach the subject of the dreams and stuff like that? I haven't <laughs> seen any. Yeah, so we oh, haven't seen the sequels. They, I was going to see they they don't. Okay. <laughs> 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 As I said, because of like the dreamlike and the the ambiguity of of one, the studio who made two were like, no, we we literally cannot have this ambiguous. And there there is literally a line at the end where Mike of two, where Mike goes, spoiler alert here, guys, where Mike says it's oh it's a dream, and the tall man could like is just there and he goes, no, it's not. 
that is literally <laughs> because the studio. That's amazing. It's like no. I love that. Yeah. So they're um, they're obviously we've talked about there being a lot of sequels to this thing. There are four sequels to it. Um, the original was remastered. Um, yes. So so we we. Uh, the remaster was, of course, started by uh, MS DOS Cortelli or whatever. whatever, whatever <laughs> MS DOS Corleone. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need you to go to the root menu and I need you to find the C folder and I need you to bring accessories up and I need to get to the paint, Doctor. <laughs> Thank you for that. That, is, that was gorgeous. <laughs> Um, but the, the remaster, so it was started, started by him, and the remaster was uh, brought to Bad Robot, J.J. Uh, Abrams' uh, production company. and Because uh, J.J. Abrams is a huge fan of this film. It's um, one of his favorite films. It is one of his favorite films. And as we said in the little bit before we went into the main section here, uh, um, Captain Phasma from uh, Force Awakens was actually, her design was... Uh, Reminded it was a silver JJ. sphere. It, it well, was a yeah. silver so, sphere, basically. Well, but he didn't make the design. He only named her Captain Phasma after he saw the design yeah. and, and saw that it reminded him of the sphere from Phantasm. So he, this guy is kind of a Phantasm nerd. Um, but he was the one who basically took the print and, and made a 4K remaster out of it. And that's the version that I own as the remaster, not the 4K version. We don't have a 4K TV. We're not bourgeoisie as fuck. Um... But uh, we got uh, we uh, we we have the remaster, and I really like the the uh, print of it because it looked great. I saw uh, a screening of the 4K remaster. There was a oh, there was an adorable dude there dressed as a tall man. He had a top hat because it was the only way he could do it. He had a top hat with loads of silver spheres around it that he could spin. Oh no, that's <laughs> that's great. It, it was adorable. He was great. He did take it off for the film. Sure. Uh, hopefully, for anybody behind him. Oh man, yeah, I would have yeah, fucking no, he hated that guy. Asshole. He was oh, really yeah. nice. Chrissy, was are there any changes to the remaster from the original print, or is it no, just no? It's a straight... just a nice upgrade. Oh, okay, it's cool. A very nice upgrade, added stuff. and okay. like the sound is also remastered. So like the yes. theme is cool. remastered and all that. Yeah. No, it looks great. I just didn't know if like they mm-hmm. had like extra footage or something like that. In no, it, so yeah, curious. no, no extra footage. Okay, it, it just awesome. it just looks a lot better. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. It looks and sounds a lot better than it did originally, which is I really did, all you want. I did find a laser disc edition. That's true. You did. <laughs> that um, was a really cheap one. That was a really cheap one. Yeah, uh, Chrissy had sent me a an eBay listing for the the uh, laser disc of Phantasm. Okay. I think it was like twenty. It was basically thirty bucks for shipping. Yeah, it was like twenty. It was yeah, like it was, it was yeah. like twenty twenty two dollars or something like that, and then shipping, uh, which I was tempted to get, but I don't have any money right now. Yeah, no one has money. Um, <laughs> I, I technically, I think the listing's over now, but I technically actually could have probably sent you the money to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't um, encourage our laser disc yeah, collection. Don't, don't, in, don't encourage doing? me <laughs> to buy more laser discs. It was a horrible mistake Look, that I'm, I'm still paying for. VHSs. We we love those. Oh, That's yeah. different. That's totally different. Hell yeah! <laughs> Send me a DVHS, <laughs> 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 which I don't even have a DVHS player, but just send me one anyway. Um, but I don't know. It, 
I really like the cult following around this movie because it seems very genuine, I guess, you know. Not like, because I don't know. I feel like a lot of cult followings are almost manufactured, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, it's it seems like sometimes they're, they're only there because uh, maybe a studio wants to make it seem like this is a cult film or, like, that it's a B-movie. But this is, like, a strictly independent film. You know what I mean? So it's the love for it seems very genuine. Sometimes cult films strike me as... The, the crowd that likes to be pretentious to the point of irony but isn't really being ironic. That's what I mean. Like, they ha- they kind of li- they, they have a, a genuine like for it, but then they overblow their own like for it out of trying to be like, ironic. And that comes off as pretentious to me. I don't know. I can't is, explain that this culture. This is going to be but... an opinion and a take, but the cult following for The Room pisses me off. Oh, yeah, me too. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking at my The Room shirt. Like, I'm part of that, but fucking hell. Yeah. The, the the blokes who make the room, the room as a movie, their personality. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I never understood that. And it's like, yeah, you're being ironic to a certain degree because you know it's a bad movie, but you seem to also really like it. And if no one else likes it, you come off as really pretentious. Like, if I have an opinion saying that I don't like it, like just, and it's say just like, love I'm it. sorry, don't say you like it for irony reasons. Just go, no, I genuinely love this film. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to think of any other cult films that I really feel that way about. The Shining. No, it's not, not the, a cult film. Not The Shining. It, no, um, it's considered cult a cult film, film now. Eh. But no, I feel it, like anything eh. Kubrick has too, way too much clout to be a cult film. Kubrick was like one of the biggest directors of you know that era in cinema. I mean, you can't fucking sit there and say, oh, this cult film was also done by the guy that did 2001, that did fucking uh, what else, Clockwork Orange, that yeah. did you know some of the biggest and most like yeah. transformative pieces of movie history. Would we say this- maybe we would say Fight Club? Yeah, for, oh, Fight Club, Fight Club definitely. In that, in that category. You, you were. Uh, yeah, I hate. I, you have I used to really like Fight Club. Class. Oh God, fuck off! <laughs> All yeah. I can yeah. say is people use Kubrick as a cult, like cult films, Kubrick films as a personality. Oh. I bet they do, but they're wrong. Like he was. Yeah. Uh, that, okay. <laughs> I'm going to get irritated if we talk about Kubrick as a cult director, and I bet Kubrick would have gotten irritated if anybody talked about Kubrick as a cult director. Because yeah. he's like, no, I'm a fucking artist, you fucking hack. Shh, fucking kill yourself. Okay. Relax. <laughs> but um, okay, Fight Club's a good example. Because I really did like Fight Club when I was younger, you know, because I read, I read the book, I was interested in the book, and I definitely liked the anti-consumer message, and I did latch onto that, and I still I have a lot of those same feelings today. But yeah, the people that latch onto Fight Club and make it a personality are upsetting. And I, I think for a while I made that my personality too when I was like in middle school. I, I will cop to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that then, was I mean when the you people were in middle that, school. Yeah, not you have to do that when you're in middle something. school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well the, the people who really were into Fight Club and the people who were really into The Matrix when that came oh, out God, are kind yeah. of similar people. And, and like the sense of like they have this sort of like conspiratorial view of like larger things happening. Do you know what I mean? I mean, and I have that too, but I mean, I also have... It's it's mired in, like, understanding of, like, that the world, the people in the world are stupid and not able to create such a big conspiracy. 
<laughs> yeah, but no, but you know what I'm saying is like they're different from you in general. Mm. Like you're you're generally different from that crowd because a lot of that crowd is now uh, kind of neoconservatives. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's a lot of those people that have like crazy weird. Views the Matrix like, and yeah. the Deep State ring a little bit too close together to right. me. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like those are the types of people who believe in a deep state or a Zionist state or those types of fucking people that I don't know. Like I feel like, in many ways, I feel like there are certain cult movies or cult cults. That's what I was saying. Is they feel kind of manufactured in a, in a lot of ways, or they feel like or co-opted by either co-opted or like the cult manufactured behind Pulp Fiction. Yeah, or disingenuous, you know. Disingenuous is what I would call it. The cult following behind Pulp Fiction is just the cult of qu- fucking Quentin Tarantino, which are the Tarantino fuckboys. Which, um, if you like everything that comes out of Tarantino's mouth, you need to take a hard look at yourself as a person. Um, yeah, because he he has made good movies. Yes, he also, in my opinion, seems to be racist. I don't know if he is or not. That's just the vibe I get from like every movie he ever made. I kind of, I kind of feel the he, same sort of way. Yeah, and it's just like he claims to be mildly mixed because he's like, oh no, I'm I'm Native American and I have black relatives, and it's like that's fine. Yeah, just shut up, Tarantino. Stop <laughs> saying the N word. He also really like he didn't. He likes feet. I I can't talk too much about. I mean, I like feet. I I don't want to talk too much about people uh, saying one way or the other about any big you know you know movement that came out or anything like that. But his response to the Weinstein thing also troubled me. He was also yeah. like, "Everybody work with the guy. Fucking that was Hollywood. Deal with it or something like that." Definitely yeah. paraphrasing. Don't know the actual quote, he, but he definitely he definitely seem- has takes. He definitely seemed very flippant. About something that I and I feel like a lot of other people as well, obviously, thought was a very big deal. Right. And yeah. that upset me that I'm just like, you, you probably should pre- treat this with a little more gravity than just like, fucking deal with it, bro. Yeah. And that's what he, bothers me about Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. He has a lot of takes, which is the same as a lot of people who like cult movies. They have takes. Right. It's like the only cult movie that I've ever really... And even I don't get on the bandwagon, but like Evil Dead Two, definite, definite cult movie. Same, but I'm not. Oh yeah. And I mean, but I mean, everyone I know likes Evil Dead Two, and they don't like it because it's a cult movie. They like it because this movie's fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel about Toxie. I love Toxie. Yeah, Toxie's but, fucking yeah. hilarious. Yeah, Toxie's great. Like, uh, I, 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 name me one cult movie that's just. Okay, Eraserhead. Fuck Eraserhead. Oh, yeah. But I have oh, pro- fuck Eraserhead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But at the same time, that director, I have I have stuff from uh, David Lynch that I really like. Mulholland so, Drive. We exactly. Love, we both love yeah. Mulholland so Drive. So I can't sit here and yeah. shit on David Lynch. I'll sit on I'll shit on Eraserhead because it's a stupid movie. And if you <laughs> think that that movie like, has a meaning behind it or anything other than just trying to gross you out. And yeah, think about consumerism a little bit. Think about that. Think about the world we live in. Yes, it has interesting messages. But if you make that movie part of your personal personality in any way you're a i'm you might be a serial killer <laughs> like, for real i occasionally wake up looking like jack nance in that movie <laughs> <Leave me> alone. <laughs> um yeah but I, yeah i just yeah people who are really into Eraserhead strike me as pretentious generally yeah because i'm just like oh. i mean i can literally attest to that my ex was super into Eraserhead, and they are very pretentious so yeah but then uh, again i'm also really into Eraserhead. But I try not to be pretentious because I was around not, that pretentiousness. 
Yeah, you don't come Everyone's on very self-aware. about like anything, really. You really That's don't. what I'm saying. Like, and I feel like we we. I mean, I feel like I come off as pretentious sometimes because I just have opinions about stupid, like really oh, I'm stupid just super things. self-aware about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm think just both, super self-aware. I think both you and I are pretentious about certain things yeah. sometimes, but I don't think that really. I, I don't think it's too like a huge detriment. I think a, a lot of the time we try and catch ourselves on that. Yeah. But I don't know. But like I said, I don't know. There are certain pieces of media that it, that if you treat as a lifestyle, then you real then th- there's a problem there that you should examine. Right. Let's can put we, it that way. Can yeah. we treat phantasm as a lifestyle? Because <laughs> I want to be an ice cream man. Fucking <laughs> 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 blows I mean, up silver spears with a shotgun and a Plymouth Barracuda. <laughs> uh, up until a point, I was going to say that's that's an actual uh, uh, profession that you could go into, and then you started talking about spheres and barracudas, <laughs> and you th- threw everything away. But you can <laughs> you can go and get your ice cream license at any point. <laughs> Yeah. No, I will only do it if I can become Reggie. <laughs> um, but basically, all that was culminating to was me say, saying and feeling as if the Phantasm following is very genuine compared to a lot of other stuff that I've, I agree. I've seen. Even like the Friday following or like the Nightmare following doesn't feel as genuine. Yeah, but that that's not. A it's cult just cause, following. It's because it's no. aged the way that it has, and because it's aged for so long, and now multiple. M- there are so many generations of people that now follow the classic horror slasher films that some people like it because, you know, I you remember seeing the first ones in theaters and they were great. Some people like it because this movie's really stupid, bro. Watch this. Look how fucking dumb this movie is. And then they just watch it out of irony. <laughs> yeah. Some people like the old classic slashers because they're like us. That you know. Watching the evolution of horror and the evolution of slashers is really interesting and really fun. And yeah, there are bad ones. Yeah, there are good ones. And you kind of take them all in stride. There's so many different levels to the the fandom of your classic horror films that, like, there are the genuine sides and there are the and the disingenuous sides. Right. But Phantasm, like you said, it it only a certain type of person has watched this, and it's a person that knows what they're getting into, li- likes horror films. Understands it's not gonna like blow your blow your socks off or anything. It's not like the greatest movie ever made, but there's a lot of cool stuff to find within it. Yeah. So, what are some of our favorite moments? I already said mine. It's it's a fortune teller scene. Next next guess next joke. Why? <laughs> why why uh, you just the way it's shot? You were saying is, I like is really uh, like I like that? the the fortune teller lady. She's really imposing. Uh, uh, as much as I rip on the girl, I think her delivery is really funny and it adds to like the unsettling nature of the scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I like I do like the stupid faces he makes when he has his hand in the box. Yeah. <laughs> Chrissy. <sighs> I think it's that moment where you first meet the tall man in the more, like in the mausoleum where where Jody's looking at his like parents uh mausoleum block and mm-hmm. he's like oh yeah and then he's just there and he is shit scary yeah <laughs> my second favorite though is when Mike is just running through the fucking cemetery screaming <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is a good scene. Uh, my favorite's uh, when the sphere shows up the first time, actually. Because it's kind of unexpected. You're oh, like, yeah, no, you definitely is... aren't expecting that. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck is that? And then it shows up, it bloops on the guy's head, <laughs> it drills into his skull and shits all the blood out. 
And then he falls down and pees himself. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about this. One of the few horror movies that does show anyone releasing bodily fluids after a kill. There's not enough movies that show them either releasing their bowels or releasing their bladder after dying. And to be fair, that doesn't happen every time somebody dies. But but it happens the one time that it matters. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't happen immediately, but it does actually usually happen like a good ninety nine percent of the time. Just not immediately like that. Right. That, that that's what I mean. Yeah. Like the twenty four hours. Bring right. bodily functions yeah. back to horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to. I want to see some pea goblins. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I like that scene just because it's, um, the effects in it, I feel, are not good, but, like, really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Let me put it that way. It's like, I At was really entertained. you don't get to see the the Jawa's faces, because you see their faces in two, and it's fucking awful. Really? Oh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Ooh, man, a little burp there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I don't know. What are what are some of their final thoughts here? More people need to watch Phantasm. More people need to love Reggie. <laughs> I, I'll agree with you. I think more. I think this is a, a, one of those ones that you, you gotta you gotta dig for it to even know it's there. Like if you're if you're just a casual horror fan, you're not gonna know it. So this is definitely one where we can't say if you haven't seen this movie, what's wrong with you? Like I hadn't seen this movie yeah. for like a couple oh, years ago. I'm pretty sure all of them except two are on Shudder. <laughs> Again, plugging the one sponsor yeah. we don't actually have yeah. and the one service we haven't paid for. We'll call it the Phantom Sponsor. <laughs> the one that we always make plugs for but doesn't actually yeah. pay us anything. Please um, shut up. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I would say, yeah, it's a it's an underground film. It, there's not a lot of people that have seen it, and it's definitely like one of those films that should have been like a classic horror film. It is. That should have been ca- like categorized in with everybody else. No. Like as far as like it should have been on the Halloween, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street level mm-hmm. of horror films, but it's really not. It is very much like a B tier tier movie in a lot of ways. Which is strange because uh, I mean it has just as much to offer as some of those other films. Yeah, just in a different yeah. way. And I think I think where it loses some people might be the interdimensional dream nature of it. Like it's not it's not visceral enough. It's not like Look. a psycho killer. It's not like a, 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 a possible pedophile back from the dead with scissor hands. It's <laughs> not you know. It, it's not like one of those just like ah oh, yeah fucking rip him to shreds, Jason. It's not one of those. It's Tall man in a dream, possibly like killing people, like it, it, with, with spheres and, and weird goblins, and, but, and haunted hearses. Don't forget the haunted hearse. And I think we even skipped over the fact that this, we should maybe even call this a science fiction horror rather than like an actual horror. Yeah, that's we didn't true. even think about it that. It has a lot of sci-fi elements. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It is. It is very much. Uh, well, yeah, it's pretty much a science fiction. Yeah, horror so film. you don't. It doesn't give you the same feeling as one of those classic visceral blood blood factory horror movies yeah, you know what i mean it's just no, that's what i love about it though it's yeah. not it's it's an intellectual watch <laughs> i mean it's not but it's it's on the especially it's a movie that i always put on when i don't want to just like be grossed out by freddy fucking eating a soul pizza <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but it, it it's a little bit more heady than some of the films at the time. And until Nightmare on Elm Street came out, I don't think there was a lot of horror films that really dealt with dreams in the same way. Mm, yeah. Um, and I, I think really? maybe when I think as far ma- as I can think, 
I think maybe if Phantasm had come out roughly around the same time that Nightmare on Elm Street did, it might have done better because, I don't know, maybe I guess audiences were a little bit more ready to kind of accept dream stuff uh, as like kind of an, a horror idea because obviously Nightmare on Elm Street did so well. But I think a lot, large part of that was just how charismatic that uh, Freddy was as like a, a villain. Um, I'll just, I don't know. Just think about it. 78 Halloween came out and everyone was jumping on that Michael Myers wannabe moment. Yeah. That's true, yeah. And this is very decidedly not that. And, right. Uh, and I don't know, I think there's also a tinge of art house ishness that might turn a lot of like more casual horror fans away to this. Yeah. Just in both the way that it's presented and some of the subject matter. Kind of misses some of the people. They're just like, eh. Even, yeah, even prob- though the imagery's cool and I and I think it's cool and you think it's cool, there's a lot of people would probably see it and be like, "That was crap." I, don't I, like I that. could see it going over a lot of people's heads. Not even mm. going over people's heads, but just like kind of just passing them by, just like very apathetic about it. You know what I mean? Not really necessarily that it went over people's heads and they didn't like understand it, but they didn't care enough to understand. Well, when it. I say over their heads, as in they didn't, I don't mean that they don't understand. I mean that the the plot might have confused them. True. Is, yeah. is what yeah. I mean. Definitely. Is that the plot might have the the plot might have been like, okay, what, what's going on? Yeah. it's a little yeah, it's, it's choppy. Gotcha. <laughs> it's uh, it's choppy, but you know. But watch it. We watch we, it. we definitely tell you to watch it. I I, I highly recommend it. It's yeah, fun. it's great. Hell yeah. Yes, but that's all we have for this week. Yeah. And yeah, uh, we can record things more normally now. <laughs> yeah, I I enjoy it, and I like that we have time to uh, write scripts, for sure. which is great because it makes for better episodes. <laughs> um, but thank you all for listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, of course, really enjoy doing this and enjoy the feedback that we get for episodes. We got a lot of great feedback for the Frankenstein episode, and uh, we're hoping to just keep doing that. Yeah, Until it, we die. Yeah, give us more feedback. Give us more suggestions, please. We, yes. we, we do relish in them. We yes, like please, that. suggestions. Yeah, whenever y'all give us suggestions for episodes, we always take it into consideration. I mean, the like we said, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 episode was definitely just a fan suggestion. We were yep. just like, well, we already did the first one, so we might as well. You know, so uh, we'll totally take any suggestions. And we love you, and goodbye. Bye. Bye, lads.